Welcome to the Campbell Conversations. I'm Grant Reher. Well, we've been talking about it for months, and it finally happened. The midterms are over, except for some of the counting, at least. With me today to parse out the results and their implications are Nina Tamrowski. She's a political science professor at Onondaga Community College, and Luke Perry, who's a political science professor as well. He's at Utica University and the director of its Center of Public Affairs and Election Research. Luke is also a regular panelist on the Ivory Tower. Luke, Nina, welcome to the program. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. So, Luke, I'll start with you, and then we'll get Nina in on this. But I, you know, I think most of our listeners, by the time they hear this, are familiar with the basic results from the election. Uh, that uh, you know, there was a uh, an expected red wave. It didn't really materialize across the country, but something of a red wave did hit here in New York State. So let me ask you this then. Aside from that basic pattern, were there one of two, two things, one or two things that, that stuck out to you from these midterms that, that, that really caught your attention? And you could take that at any level you'd like. One thing that stood out to me is where Republicans did well in House races. And Florida was one place, which isn't so surprising. Florida was a swing state early this century, but has moved pretty strongly to the right and is now solidly Republican. And Republicans did well uh, this cycle. New York, on the other hand, moved to the left decidedly during the Trump era, yet this election Republicans did very well in New York with a close gubernatorial race, the closest since 2002, and a very strong performance in the House races, which is really a sticking point for Democrats nationally now as they try to hold on to the to the majority, though it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah, I want to come back to what happened in New York, definitely. Nina, what about you? Anything other than what Luke said that that caught your eye? I would just add one more detail, and, and that's uh, that gerrymandering matters, right? Because these uh, House seats that did uh, go red here in New York State, they were court ordered for the most part. And so the original plan that came out of the state legislature last spring, you know, got thrown uh, by the wayside. And uh, again, a special master created these districts, whether uh, that was fair or not, probably depends on who, ans who asks and answers the question. but. Uh, yeah, I think the gerrymandered seats here in New York mattered, but we saw it in, you know, flips around the, the country as well, Florida in particular, and Texas and North Carolina, where we know um, there's been Republican slanted seat making, and um, Democrats just haven't had control of those state legislatures to, to re do that in return. That's interesting. Yeah, we'll come back to that, too. Okay, so... Um... So I wanted to do this at the beginning. I, th th there's already been uh, tons of ink that have been spilled and probably billions of uh, keyboard strokes that have been uh, punched already on this election. I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot of attention both before and immediately afterwards. And I wanted to throw out to the two of you a couple of maybe contrary propositions about this and see what you think about them. So, uh, Nina, I want to start with you. The, here's the first one. It's that although this red wave didn't really materialize across the country, um, it does look like the House of Representatives is still extremely likely, I think at this point, to be in Republican control. I mean, it's going to be just a few seat margin, but right. they're probably going to have control. And 
whichever way it goes in this special election in Georgia, if that's what it comes down to, the Senate is going to be almost evenly split. So it's we're kind of where we were before. Right. Here's the here here's my proposition. It in terms of policy during the next two years nationally, I would suggest that whether we had the red wave or not, the outcome is about the same. And that is not much is going to happen. Uh, right. That 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 it seems like where the country is right now is we're going to call this question again in 2024, and we're kind of moving into a moment. Individual players may have been flow, but policy-wise, I, I, I kind of see stasis. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think of the consequences of that stasis. I mean, as we have two years of, of nothingness, I mean, we'll continue to see the, the you know, public opinion you know, scores of the Congress go down. And voters get so, I think, disgusted with the lack of progress on any front. Uh, so I, I think it's just uh, bad generally for engagement, right? People think, oh, there they go again, doing nothing and then blaming each other. So I don't see our polarization will, will, will stop, stop at all. Um, and I agree with you policy-wise, the Republicans haven't really put much forward anyway with regard to policy. And the Democrats are gonna be stymied in that um, Joe Biden, supposedly not a lame duck but i think he's gonna you know look like a lame duck yeah he's kind of he's kind of gotten what he's gonna get i mean luke do you have any reaction to to this topic about where where we're gonna go as a country policy wise i think you're you're right grant i don't expect a a lot of major policy developments now that's with the caveat though you can never predict what's going to happen over the next two years. Two years ago, we didn't expect Russia to invade Ukraine and American government to spend billions of dollars supporting them and the Biden administration realigning foreign policy in the region to try to contain the threat of Russia. So you don't know exactly what's gonna happen, but the reality is the 2024 campaign now begins. And in terms of party politics, there's little incentive in Congress or both sides to work together, uh, particularly Republicans to help a, a Democratic president. And I think the fundamentals remain the same. Coming out of 2020, I felt like if the Democrats could get COVID under control and turn the economy around, they'd be looking pretty good by 2024. They haven't done that yet. Uh, they had a fairly successful midterm, all things considered. And I think if those two variables can uh, be resolved, the Democrats will still look good in 2024. Interesting. So let me stick with you and, and, and ask you this question. And that is, how much do you think at particularly thinking about the Senate, but, but also some of the races um, at, the, at the House level too, that maybe one of the ingredients on the red wave that wasn't was that the Republicans shot themselves in the foot uh, during the primaries with some weak, maybe even wacky candidates uh, that ended up running and that maybe a better candidate selection on their part might have provided some of that wave that they were looking for. I mean, I you know, thinking about Herschel Walker, you know, thinking, thinking about some of the other candidates uh, that were out there that were a bit, a bit off in different ways. I think you're absolutely right. Mitch McConnell hinted at this a few months ago, suggesting that Senate candidate quality was going to be a problem. And I think we saw that. Republicans knew that to, to be easily successful in retaking the Senate, they had to win Pennsylvania. And that was the, one of the first to be called on election night. And uh, Mehmet Oz was a main reason for that. What we've seen is Trump endorsing certain candidates who follow a similar ilk to him, a national celebrity, be it on television, 
be it a former sports star like Herschel Walker in Georgia. And that's just not a strong recipe for being successful, particularly in competitive statewide races. And then from a policy perspective, I think the Supreme Court did Republicans no favors with the overturning of Roe, because I do think in competitive states, that was an issue that, that created some drag for Republicans. I suppose they did them one favor by deciding it earlier in the summer rather than having it be the last decision. So the Democrats would have really ridden all that outrage. Um, Nina, any thoughts about that? Is it weak? You know, do you see, did you see weak Republican candidates out there coming out of the primaries? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Arizona, which is still undecided, but yeah, Blake Masters, I think, is losing ground there. So, yeah, I think every candidate endorsed by Trump, not every, you know, J.D. Vance survived in Ohio, but most yeah. of the candidates endorsed by, by Trump have, have struggled to win or have outright lost. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is going to lead to a, kind of a, you know, reflection point for, for the Republican Party, like how, how far do they want to go um, over the edge? They're at the edge. Do they jump? You know, I don't know. So uh, it's interesting to, to see the, the Republicans trying to figure this out. I mean, I think there's consequences for Kevin McCarthy, whether he becomes speaker or not. So um, mm. there, there's just a lot of fallout in, among Republicans. So it's a lot to, a lot to watch. Luke, you want to jump wanted, back in, yeah. I just wanted to add, too, that, that it seems like you've already got potential 2024 Republican presidential candidates like Chris Christie telling it like it is, that Republicans didn't do well under Trump electorally in 2018. They didn't do well in 2020. And Trump's influence in 2022 doesn't seem to be helpful either. And now a lot of Republicans are outspoken about not wanting him to announce prior to the runoff in Georgia. The Senate comes down to that. So Trump was good for Republicans electorally in 2016, but that has not been the case since. And Republicans are starting to come around to this thing. Yeah, mentioning Chris Christie, I mean, one of the other questions I want to put to both of you is some individuals shined and, and some individuals didn't shine. We've talked about some of the ones that didn't shine uh, in the elections. Um, who was the biggest winner uh, in the elections? Uh, I, I mean, Nina, it seems to me, going back to the Republicans, I mean, I thought, you know, it was Ron DeSantis. He was he was the he was the big winner of the night. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think Ron DeSantis, you know, he's he's king of Florida, but I, I don't know that that flies anywhere else. You know, I, I mean, given the turnout of, of women and young people across the country, I mean, we don't I think have final figures on that, but uh, it, it looked like Democrats pulled it off because of women and young people, you know, voting, you know, more blue. So I don't know how DeSantis is going to fly in this climate if he if he tries to leave the state. And he's in some ways sometimes coarser than Trump. So um, if we're seeing a reevaluation going on of Trump's, um, I don't know, capacity, I, I don't know if DeSantis looks much better in that regard. You know, look at what he did on the taking the Venezuelans up to, you know, Martha's Vineyard. And, you know, they just he he does things that are, are very, you know, cruel and undignified. And I think that'll catch up with them in a lot, a lot of parts of the country. And do you see it the way I think Luke was suggesting that 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 Trump in a way is 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 a loser in these midterm elections? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because I think look at Mitch McConnell um, has already again, said, well, the, we knew those candidates weren't strong that, that Trump had put forward. I heard uh, Paul Ryan in an interview this week saying, we've got to get past Trump, you know, so what used to be the, you know, the establishment Republicans are finally speaking out about, uh, you know, Trump's 
lasting power. Do you think they're less afraid of them? Is that the issue? What What's the change? I Well, I think, <laughs> did Peggy Noonan have an article this morning, like how many times do you have to be kicked by the mule, right? I mean, <laughs> they've, <laughs> right, they, they've lost the, they've lost the presidency, the, the Senate, the House. I mean, they might have won back the House, but uh, it could have, it could have been a much bigger win. So uh, yeah, I think maybe we'll get past the holidays. I mean, the other thing is there's the, 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 the possibility of Trump being indicted in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I don't know how he comes out of this looking better uh, than he does now. So yeah, I, th I think his days are numbered and his influence is probably numbered. It's kind of a paradox though too, right? Like Republicans can't live without his base but they can't live with him either because he's not helping them anymore, you know? Yeah, they've got to figure out a way to, to, to shift it perhaps to, mm -hmm. to somebody else. Luke, who do you see as the, as the big winner or winners in this midterm? Well, on the Democratic side, it's got to be Joe Biden. I mean, half of the Democrats nationally are enthousiastic, enthusiastic about him running again. The other half just kind of shrug. He doesn't get his props. He did better <laughs> than uh, Obama at this point. He's, he's did better than Clinton at this point. I think kind of under the radar right now is how well Democrats did in state legislative races throughout the country and gubernatorial races. During the eight years of the Obama presidency, Republicans made extraordinary gains uh, at the state level and state houses. And so far, we haven't seen that. And that's pretty remarkable. And I think it's kind of getting lost in the shuffle with everything else going on here. No, but you should send those thoughts to the president. He'll appreciate that. We've got to take a break right now. You're listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media. I'm Grant Reher, and my guests are Utica University political science professor Luke Perry and Onondaga Community College political science professor Nina Tamarowski. We're discussing the midterm election results. So I want to uh, drill down, Nina, a little bit more specifically on something that both of you have been talking about, which is the implications for all this for the dynamics of the presidential race in 2000. 24, and I had thrown out Ron DeSantis as perhaps the big winner. You pushed back on that. So, so how do you see? I mean, it's early days, but why not? Everybody else is doing it. Uh, how do you see the uh, dynamics for the presidential election 2024 now beginning to shape after these midterms? Well, I think there's so much that's uh, hard to say there. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll see Ron DeSantis, I think kind of make a go of it. But I wonder if there's going to be, you know, like a, a resurrection of Chris Christie or Nikki Haley, uh, you know, some of the people who ran, uh, you know, in early uh, 16, even before Trump, you know, vanquished everybody. Uh, so I think about, you know, what do those people try to mount to come back? Uh, do we see, you know, Rubio and uh, Ted Cruz, you know, try to, to make an effort? Um, that'd be an interesting Florida battle between Rubio and DeSantis. But yeah, I think um, there's other Republicans who are probably just dying to to kind of break free of, of this, you know, this Trump, you know, kind of rattling skeleton in the background and, and kind of remake the Republican Party. And by the way, I think it'd be better for democracy if they did, you know, so I, I think we do need a competitive ideologically based party instead of a, a personality based one. Mm. Interesting distinction there. Luke, do you see room, any room opening up on the Republican side for a genuinely uh, moderate Republican candidate to be competitive in the primary season on the Republican side? Moderate and primaries don't typically go together well. So I'm skeptical for that, but kind of 
building on what was said, I see three potential camps of candidates in the Republican primary. One is Trump himself, right? He, he fills that camp himself. Uh, <laughs> two, Ron DeSantis and people of him, his ilk who are going to take a lot of what Trump has done, but try to sell that with less personal baggage and not being indicted and all that stuff. And then the third camp is, is what Nina was talking about, I think, a new direction for the party getting back to sort of the more Bush Republican uh, model and trying to get away from a party being based on one person's personality. So I think you'll have these three groups all kind of competing and it's very hard to predict at this point how that's gonna unfold. But not room for a John Kasich now. No, not in the primary because you need that ideological base and that's on both sides. You, you gotta make your ideological base happy to win a national presidential primary. And I don't see room for that in a hyper-partisan era uh, for someone like that to emerge successfully. Is it, a, is it almost a foregone conclusion now, given that you thought Joe Biden was the big winner in the midterms that he will then stand for reelection, that that, uh, that 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 pushback within the Democratic Party, as you said, kind of will just become a shrugging of shoulders and he'll just get the nomination, you know, by default? I would be surprised if he declares that if somebody were to launch a serious challenge towards him, but I'm not convinced he's going to run. I, I've always thought he was probably going to serve one term. I think the major thing holding him back from doing that is the prospect of Donald Trump running and winning. And so I think Democrats should be very careful to move on from Joe Biden with that in mind, because as we talked about before, Trump has been a proven loser for the Republican Party since 2016. Biden's track record is the opposite. So I get Democrats are not super enthused about him, but he has been successful in defeating, defeating Trumpism. What, what's your take on that, Nina? What do you think Biden's future you know, is? I agree with Luke on that. I've never thought that Biden was going to run for a second term, but only because he can't say that, you know, or else he's a lame duck on day one, right? So I think he's got to go forward with, with the, you know, kind of conversation dialogue that yep I'm running I'm running I'm running and also I think that um, that kind of uh, puts down any chance of democratic infighting right we don't see the progressives you know angling to to put forward a candidate we don't see the establishment people trying to pick on okay who's next who succeeds him you know so I don't know I think I think it might be politically smart for Biden to say he's running um, I do think he's so competitive, though, that I think if, if Trump was to, like, you know, gain some momentum here, maybe Biden would say, yep, I'm in, you know, because I think Biden could beat him twice. And I think Biden likes that prospect. But I think that's really the only thing that why Biden would stay in, in the race and run again. I, I do think he's going to uh, turn it over. Yeah, David Brooks, I heard him on PBS the night of the election, and, you know, he seems to always suggest that he has inside information, you know, he's talking to these people all the time. And he intimated that he thought both Biden and Jill Biden, his wife, want him to run. And so mm -hmm. he seemed to be suggesting that he would be in. Um, the age is a pause for me, though, because it's a very hard job and he is yeah. getting up there. Not to be ageist, but it's just the fact of the matter is it's a tough job at any age. So let's look at New York State now. And Nina, I want to stick with you here on this. It is really interesting that Republicans did so well in the state relative to expectations. Right. I mean, that, that governor's race should have been 20 points, not Sure. Five, And when you look at the state and you look at the profiles and the backgrounds of some of the Republican candidates, I mean, again, Lee Zeldin would not be on paper 
the kind of candidate you think would be competitive with someone like Kathy Hochul. And then you add on to that the fact that there has been a recent history of the Republican Party in the state as an organization having lots of internal divisions mm -hmm. and not being terribly functional. So why <laughs> did New York Republicans overperform? What was their secret sauce? You know what? I wonder if the enthusiasm gap was bigger in New York. I mean, for whatever reasons, I think Republicans must have turned out in really strong numbers. Maybe they saw they really had a shot in Zeldin. I mean, there were some polls showing four-point difference that he had closed since summer from 17 points. You know, so maybe they just had more enthusiasm. And Democrats, I think, could you could claim get complacent in New York because it's such a Democratic stronghold. And you know, and like we're talking about super majorities in our state legislature. So I'm sure lots of folks just stayed home or they thought it was a shoe one for for Hochul and and their their legislative seats. So I wonder if it's a turnout issue. And I also hmm. think Republicans um, are deceptively strong upstate, right? We always assume that there's just so fewer people up here, but yeah, they they made a real showing, you know, and every God, north of Westchester, even Westchester, look, Sean Patrick Maloney lost, you know. Mm -hmm. So um yeah, they they really turned it on, you know. So I think that definitely surprised a lot of people for sure. What's your take on that, Luke? Anything to add there? Figure this puzzle out. I think Zeldin ran an effective campaign. He prioritized crime. That was an issue that polling showed had saliency, not only with Republicans, but with Democrats. It was a top three issue statewide. And that was the centerpiece of his campaign. So that was a smart move. Uh, Zeldin, coming from Long Island, boosted House candidates there. The Republicans picked up two House seats in Long Island where Democratic candidates did not run again. So that helped them in terms of the overall numbers uh, statewide. And I think we have to recognize, as we were talking about before, that Trump has been great for Democrats in New York over the last five years. And they pretty much, I think, maxed out their power at the state level. And that was coupled with unified Democratic control in Washington. So you had Republican candidates throughout the state running against the Biden administration, Hochul administration, and what, what they claimed was one-party rule. And I think that message had saliency at a time when most people are unhappy about the direction of the country because they're paying more for groceries and gas and COVID's still a problem and they've got concerns about schools. So all that came together to help Republicans. One of the things that I thought helped Republicans in New York was just to take that last point. There also, though, that tapped into longstanding frustrations about the current about the state of affairs economically in New York State. And I thought there was a synergy between the national dissatisfaction with economics and how that maybe layered onto dissatisfactions about the state of affairs in New York, because voters have been saying that they think New York has been on the wrong track for, I think, decades now almost. So, so um, what do you think? Do you think there'll be particular lessons that Kathy Hochul will take out of these election results? I mean, will she Will she tack a little bit more to the right? Will she double down on maybe trying to do more for ethics and transparency than she did before? Uh, some people hope that she would be a change agent for New York. I think it's fair to say she hasn't been one so far. So wh wh where, where, does, where does she go? Hmm. Boy, I think you're right. I think she's going to have to tack to the right. I wonder if we'll see another bail reform package even. I mean, I think the, the crime issue is, 
whether it's real or not, right? I think voters perceive it's real. Um, and probably for New York City, it's more real than for the rest of us upstate. Um, I think we'll see her, you know, probably working more closely with uh, Mayor Adams to try to, you know, take care of that issue a little bit. But I don't know, again, if you can reform bail again to, to, to placate the right. Um, and I'm not sure if that's politically or policy-wise the right thing to do either. So, yeah, I can. I think you're right. I think she'll tack to the right. Um, she does have upstate roots. She knows how to speak that language. So, yeah, I I think she might have to play that game. We got about uh, two or three minutes left, and Luke, I want to come back to you because we want. I want to talk about the 22nd congressional district here in New York. And Luke, um, you and I have to eat some crow. I don't know if you remember this or not, but last time you were on this program, you and I were kind of in agreement that when uh, Brandon Williams won the primary, uh, the Republican Party were kind of handing that seat to the Democrats. Uh, that turns out not to be the case. So <laughs> as, we're, as we're pulling this crow out of our mouth, uh, what do you think the dynamics were, particularly that race, that, that uh, allowed Brandon Williams to pull out what on paper is a big upset? William certainly deserves credit. He wasn't favored to win in the primary, went out against all the party endorsements and secured the nomination, and then won as a political novice in a nationally competitive race. So certainly deserves a lot of credit for that. I think the main reason for victory is that he blew the doors off in Nida County. The new NY22 has Syracuse and Onondaga County as its geographic base, but I had thought going into the election that Nida County could be a tipping point. I didn't imagine that Williams was going to win Oneida County by 18,000 votes, rivaling what Francis Canole did in Onondaga County. Canole could have lost Oneida County by 5,000 votes, 10,000 votes, 12,000 votes, still won the election. So I think what we're learning here is that Anthony Brindisi is a strong Democratic candidate in 2018, nearly won Oneida County in 2020, just lost Oneida County by three points kept that area competitive for Democrats. And that's what the next Democratic nominee in NY22 is going to have to focus on because Onondaga County and Syracuse is not going to be enough to win the election. Interesting to also bear in mind, correct me if I'm wrong, that thinking of the Democratic primary, uh, that was where Francis Canole was weakest. Uh, and I think Sarah Clee Hood really, really mm -hmm. cleaned up in that area. So She did. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you have any other thoughts, Nina, about, about what was the key here for Williams? I don't because I was I was surprised I would have been eating crow right along with you because <laughs> I, I, I thought for sure it might be close but I thought Canole would pull it pull it off and and well I, maybe the other thing is you know Williams played it smart in the last couple of weeks he did start you know uh, preaching a more moderate message right I mean he did back off any commentary on Trump in 24 you know he he really um, moderated his his conversation and maybe that was appealing as people started paying attention to the race yeah we heard we heard the word socialism last i think well we'll have to leave it there this was really great both of you uh, that was nina tamrowski and luke perry again luke nina uh, first of all good to see both of you again and thanks for making the time to talk with me thank you thank you it was fun you've been listening to the campbell conversations on wrvo public media conversations in the public interest the Campbell Conversations, Conversations in the Public Interest is hosted and produced by Grant Reher, engineered by Tom Fazio. Assistant producer is Jacqueline Witwicky, and the program is edited by Mark LeBoner. The Campbell Conversations is a joint production of the Campbell Public Affairs Institute at Syracuse University and WRVO Public Media. 
To learn more about the program and hear previous interviews, visit wbarbo.org slash Campbell Conversations. 